0: I mentioned this last week, maybe because we're a little bit excited about it, and I'm going to mention it again this week. We got a puppy last Saturday. I don't know if you were here and you heard that. I promise that next week I won't mention the puppy, but I have a photo. That's, that's the puppy, and that's Lucy, our daughter. And she's, her, the puppy's name is Matilda, because we're from Australia, and that's kind of got some Australian connections, and also we love the Roald Dahl book. And Matilda is super cute. One thing about Matilda, though, is she is a domesticated animal. Uh, she's a domesticated animal. So dogs, along with a whole bunch of other animals, they've been kept and tamed by human beings. And, and over the, the centuries, people have bred them and nurtured them so that they're kind of chocked full of these qualities that we desire in an animal. So they do the things we want them to do. Uh, and so if it's a dog, it might kind of be cute and it will fetch the ball and it will, if, if you're on a farm, it might round up sheep for you and a whole bunch of other useful things. We've domesticated them. We've made them serve us. But we've also kind of domesticated out of them a whole bunch of things we don't like about dogs. So they don't, we've kind of domesticated them so they don't attack us. You know, they, they, they do what we want, not what they want. Uh, we've, we've domesticated them so we can teach them not to pee on the carpet or wander off or things like that. So they kind of fit in with our lifestyle, with the way that we want to do things. We've changed and shaped these animals to suit us and what we want. And it's great. But for the last 2,000 years, people have been trying to domesticate Jesus too. We've tried to put him in our pocket. And like a pet or like a, a farmyard animal, we've tried to uh, domesticate Jesus by ignoring the behaviors uh, that we don't like and focusing on the ones that we do. We've, we've, we've convinced ourselves that Jesus is safe, that he's nice, uh, that he's just a good teacher, that he's no threat to doing the things that we want to do anyway. We've domesticated Jesus. We've ignored the things that He says that we don't like, like where He warns us about the love of money, no man can serve two masters. We we'll just we'll just skip over that bit of your of your of your word, Jesus, because we want to we want to teach you like a domesticated animal that, that that's not acceptable. Uh, we we'll we gloss over the words that He has about opposing your family and putting Him and His King and His kingdom first. Uh, But, yeah, we love the Jesus that talks about standing up against religious authorities or the Jesus that that, that talks about loving your neighbour. We love the idea of the Jesus that lays down his life for us because he loves us, because we want to think of ourselves as lovely. We've spent 2,000 years trying to, to domesticate Jesus. But as we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus is not... He can't be domesticated if we actually read the Gospels, the biography of Jesus' life, he's not innocuous. He's not just a wise teacher. He's not just a nice guy. Jesus has actually come to set a cat amongst the pigeons. He's come to establish his kingdom, his way. And it's an upside down kingdom where, unlike the world that we live in, the last will be first and the first will be last. It's a kingdom which is Uh, characterized by sacrificial service the greatest well the greatest is the one who is a servant of all you see jesus we cannot domesticate him we cannot contain him we cannot make him in our image to be the, the the little god that we want him to be just kind of the lapdog god that just does the things that you want and doesn't do anything that you find awkward and uncomfortable and this is something that King Herod in this passage seems to have grasped right from day one. Uh, right from day one. Uh, last week we looked at the genealogy of Jesus and we saw that Jesus is God's king and we also saw that Jesus is God's king for everyone. Uh, this week we're going to see what it means for Jesus to be king. You see, the kingship of Jesus it, is Jesus, it has implications for you and for me and for everyone. And King Herod in this passage, he's worked out what it means for Jesus to be king. He's worked out what it means for Jesus to be on the throne and he's ditched the sentimentality, he's scrunched up the Christmas card and he's taking action. Uh, now there's, uh, you might have heard the Bible reading and kind of checked your watch and gone, hang on, it's February, uh, we're a couple of months late, isn't this Christmas, Christmas Bible reading? Uh, but no, this is, this is what we're looking at as we work our way through Matthew's gospel. Uh, but it does make you think of Christmas time and as we think of Christmas time, there are lies we hear at Christmas Kind of little white lies that we we tell each other. Uh, Things like you open it up and you go, yeah, it's just what I always wanted, right? Um, Or you you look at that box under the tree that says easy to assemble instructions and you know that is not true. Uh, Or when the relatives are uh, kind of slowly kind of meandering their way around your house and you say, sure, we don't mind if you stay for a few more nights the lies we say to each other at Christmas time. Well, here in this passage, we see the first lie at Christmas. It was when King Herod was speaking to the the Magi, the wise men, and he said there in chapter 2, verse 8, Herod said to the Magi, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. So that I too may go and worship him. Now that is a lie we discover in the rest of the reading that Herod does not want to worship Jesus, he wants to wipe him out. And Herod actually wants to do it so badly that he orders the death of every boy two years and under in Bethlehem. He's hoping that kind of Jesus, the baby, will get caught up in the carnage and it's an unpleasant story and it's not one that we dwell on much at Christmas. But what's Herod on here? What? Why is he so upset? Why is he, what's going on in Herod's head that means he reacts so violently just against a baby? Well, Herod knows that Jesus isn't just a baby. Herod knows that Jesus isn't just a nice guy. He knows that Jesus isn't domestic, can't be domesticated, that Jesus isn't just a, a good moral teacher. Herod sees the baby Jesus as a threat. And if there's any danger of opposition, if there's any whiff of any other authority, Herod, the King Herod, he's going to snuff it out no matter what the cost might be to anyone else. Because he understands this one thing about Jesus. There's one thing that Herod understands about Jesus. There's another thing he doesn't understand, which we'll look at later. But the one thing he does understand is that Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king. And we can tell that herod understands this and this has had an impact on him by what uh what we read as he in the lead up to him lying to the magi in the first place so if you look at chapter 2 verse 1 chapter 2 verse 1 after jesus was born in bethlehem in judea during the time of king herod magi aka aka wise men or sorcerers magi from the east came to jerusalem and asked where is the one who has been born king of the jews we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, when King, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed. And now, there's a lot of things going on here. The first thing to notice is that immediately after Jesus is born, the first people are Gentiles, outsiders to the people of God, who are being the first people who are drawn into him. Uh, And we saw that last week that Jesus is a king for everyone and straight away we see that he is a king for everyone as these magi come to worship Jesus. People who are outside of God's Old Testament people, outside of Israel. The second thing we notice is that uh, it's pretty clear that King Herod is not happy. It says says right there at the end, he was disturbed in verse 3. He was disturbed. And why? Well, he's received news that the king of the Jews... The king of the Jews has been born. And that's disturbing because at the time of Jesus' birth, that was Herod's title. He was supposed to be the king of the Jews. I was reading this week about some people who owned a house in Western Australia. Uh, They moved overseas. And when they moved back, they found out that the house that they had owned had been sold. The tenants who lived in the house stole their identity and then sold their house um, and they moved back to find other people living in it. Some A property scam, identity fraud. King Herod is finding that his, his his identity is being stolen. He is being usurped. His position is being taken out from under him by this baby. Herod is supposed to be the king of the Jews, he thinks. He's been appointed king over all of Israel by the Romans and and he was a very cruel and suspicious king, and he's worried that this baby is going to usurp him. I mean one thing to know about Herod, he was he was he was Mr. Paranoid, right? He was so anxious about his rivals. He was so anxious about people trying to claim his throne that he he had his favorite wife killed. He had a few wives, but he had his favorite one killed because he thought that she might be a possible threat to his throne. Imagine what he did to his non-favorite ones. Um But that's not it. Herod killed three of his own sons. He killed his brother in law, and he lived out many people's dreams by knocking off his mother in law because he thought that she was going to take his power. And this guy has these magi, these wise men, on his doorstep asking to see the new king of the Jews. And what do you think a guy like that is going to do? He wants to be the one in power, he wants to be the one calling the shots. He wants to be the one on the throne wearing the crown, in control. And now a new threat to all of that has come into the world. You know, even though Herod's paranoid, he's absolutely correct at this point. There is a threat to Herod being the boss. There is a challenge to his throne. Someone has come to take his crown now, no way justifies uh, his behaviour, but he's spot on. Someone more important than him has been born. Someone who is so important that a star has appeared in the sky to announce his arrival. Someone so important that angels are popping up all over the place. They're telling people what to name him and they're telling people where to go and how to be safe someone so important that they give him special names they give him the name Jesus it says in chapter 1 verse 21 because he will save his people from this he will save his people from their sins and in chapter 1 verse 23 uh, they'll call him Emmanuel which means God with us you see the baby that Herod has heard about is no less than God with us he's not just simply king of the jews but he is king of everyone the god of the whole universe has shown up on earth in this child. Now here at this birth, even though Herod doesn't fully comprehend everything that's going on, at least he is right in understanding that a rival has appeared. A king has come who is going to shake things up. A king who has come and is going to upset the status quo, who is going to challenge him and his throne. And he doesn't like it. And so we have this chapter where he schemes and he plots and he lies to kill this rival to the throne. Uh, but as we read in the passage, he couldn't do it. He does everything he can to try and kill the baby Jesus, but he cannot. It just, it's just a moment of reflection, really. You just think about the, what's, what's really going on. If Jesus is who the angels say he is and is who God says he is, then you're not going to win in a power struggle with God with us. He's God with us. And so by the end of the chapter, by the end of chapter 2, someone does die. But it's not Jesus. At the end of chapter 2, Herod dies. Because you don't go up against Jesus, even as a baby, and hope to win. There's so much freight behind Jesus that even at this point, kind of as Herod tries to snuff him out, it's trying like, like trying to hold back the tide. There's so much going on behind the scenes here. It's more than a tussle between Herod and the baby Jesus. Matthew, the writer of this biography, he's loaded this story with hints. I wonder if you noticed how many times during that section Matthew is pointing things out to us. He's constantly telling us that all of these events are happening for a reason. And that reason is that they're all happening to fulfil prophecy. They're all happening according to the shape and plan that's already there in the scriptures in the Old Testament. Come with a quick come on a quick tour with me. It'd be great if you had your Bible open so you can see this for yourself. Chapter one, verse twenty-two. Chapter one, verse twenty-two. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet, what the Lord had said through the prophets. Chapter two, verse five. For this is what the prophet has written. Chapter two, verse fourteen, and it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet: "Out of out of Egypt I'll call my son." And chapter. 2 verse 17, this is what was said through the prophet Jeremiah, this is, sorry, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And then finally, uh, chapter 2 verse 23, he went down to live in a town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Every step, Matthew wants us to see that this is all happening according to God's plan. All of God's promises for Israel are being fulfilled in this baby, in this, in this child, in Jesus. And even the king of the day cannot stand in the way. I think there's comfort for us in that. There's great comfort for us in that. God's plans and his purposes cannot be thwarted. They cannot be thwarted. Haven't we thanked God for that already this morning? that as we plant a church here to love Jesus and love Wellington, that even removing the the pastor and his family for eight months will not thwart his plans and purposes to draw people to himself. There's great comfort here that all of this has happened to fulfill what God had already planned and purposed for his son Jesus. The promises he made to his people. God cannot be thwarted. It couldn't happen then and it can't happen now. See, as Herod bucks up and kind of bucks up against Jesus, he's kicking against the plans and the purposes of God. He's kicking up against the fulfillment of God's promises. God is behind it. He is the driving force. God is going to be on the right side of history. Let me tell you. And it's not just God who is behind it. Jesus himself, God with us, And so to kick against Jesus is to kick against God himself. And why would you want to do that anyway? Especially when you consider the thing about Jesus that Herod doesn't understand. Remember I said that there was one thing that Herod did understand, that is, Jesus is a king. There's another thing that Herod doesn't understand about Jesus. The thing he doesn't understand is the type of king that Jesus has come to be. You see, Jesus is a very different sort of king to Herod. He's not the Jesus is not the king who has come here to push us around and to make life hard for us. In this passage, we see that Jesus is the king who has come to serve. And not only that, we're actually told that he has come not just to serve, but to save. Uh, We heard this from the angel back in chapter 1, verse 21. So it'd be great if you look, chapter 1, verse 21. "'The angel said to Joseph that she,' that's Mary, "'she will give birth to a son "'and you are to give him the name Jesus.'" Because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Now, you might not have realized that you uh, need saving from your sins. And at the risk of offending you this morning, you do. But it's not just you, it's me. We all do. And the reason is because none of us have given God the attention that he deserves. Instead, what we tend to do is we just tend to ignore God. We go through each day kind of doing our own thing, making our own plans, acting as if God just isn't there. Or well, maybe you've had the wrong picture of Jesus and you've kept Jesus on a leash and you've tried to domesticate him and you know, we're trying to teach Matilda that there's parts of the house that she's not allowed in and there's parts of the house that she is allowed in. Maybe you've let Jesus have the run of some areas of your life but there's a door closed well there's a baby gate across the stairs and he's not allowed in that part you've kept him on a leash and you've not given him the attention and the devotion that he deserves you see we're actually a lot more like herod than we might want to realize or might want to own up to you see we all want to be the king of our own life without god interfering thanks very much but that dismissive and autonomous attitude towards God, well, the Bible has a word for it, and the word is sin. And because of it, we all deserve to be punished by him. And so Joseph is told to name this kid Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I wonder if you've kind of realized how remarkable this is. God has drawn near us in Jesus, God has come close, Emmanuel, God with us and he has drawn near us and even though he is deeply offended by our sin, he has drawn near us not to punish us, not to give us what we deserve but to save us. He has drawn near to save it's kind of like the equivalent of being caught uh, by the police for speeding. And instead of receiving a fine from the officer and points off your license, you're actually forgiven and given a gift instead. It's so not what you deserve. And so Jesus is called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's going to give God's people not what they deserve. But Herod, he doesn't get this. He doesn't see the salvation. All he sees is a threat. All he sees is someone who is come to take his crown, take his throne, prevent him from doing what he wants. And so he reacts with anger and he reacts with rejection. And when you think about it, it's such a bizarre reaction for a king who has come to save. But it's worth asking this morning, could we be a little bit like Herod? Does the thought of Jesus being your king? Does the thought of Jesus telling you what to do? Does the thought of Jesus running your life and ruling over your world, does, does that get your back up a bit? Well, in this passage, there is a warning and the warning is, in a power struggle between us and Emmanuel, there is only ever one winner the power struggle between us and Jesus, there is only ever one winner. Herod saw Jesus as a threat. And when he saw that threat, he grasped even harder for his throne, even harder for his crown, for his kingship, for his autonomy. And who won in the end? Well, it was King Jesus, not Herod. But in this passage, there's also given uh, you are given the wrong way to respond to the kingship of Jesus, but you're given a much wiser way to respond to the kingship of Jesus. And we see that in, the, in that of the Magi, the wise men. They respond to Jesus in a different way. Uh, and, and Matthew tells the story, really, to, to contrast the two, the two responses to Jesus. Because whereas Herod sees Jesus as a rival king, the Magi see Jesus as their rightful king. Herod sees Jesus as a rival king, the Magi see Jesus as their rightful king. Where Herod wants to wipe Jesus out, the Magi go and search out Jesus so that they might worship him. Herod goes ballistic at the thought of Jesus, the wise men bow down to him and they offer gifts to him. It's in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, uh, in chapter 4, we get a glimpse into the throne throne room of God. And in this throne room, around the throne of God, there are 24 elders who I think are supposed to represent the whole people of God. And it says this in Revelation chapter 4. It says, the 24 elders fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay down their crowns before the throne. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power a beautiful image it's a beautiful image they lay down their crowns the crown belongs to Jesus it belongs to Jesus it doesn't belong to Herod it doesn't belong to Andrew it doesn't belong to you so lay down your crown before King Jesus It's what the Magi do as they seek out the baby Jesus, as they worship him, as they offer gifts with him. It's the response that Matthew wants us to have. Do a Herod. Don't do a Herod. Don't do a Herod. Don't kill babies. Um, Don't do a Herod, do a Magi. Seek Jesus out. Gratefully accept his help and submit to him. Lay down your crown before him he's not an inconvenient king he's a wonderful king he's a king who is God with us he is a king who certainly has authority over us and all rule and dominion and glory but he is a king who loves us the king who has come to save us will you pray with me Lord and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word that tells us about King Jesus. That he has come with power and authority, that he is God with us, but that he's come to save. Lord, we lay down our crowns. We lay them down at the throne of Jesus as we let him be the king that he is. The king who has come to serve. The king who has come to save. The king who has saved us from our sin. We pray these things in his name. Amen.